very good uh, good morning to all of you on behalf of the department of philosophy university of north bengal i heartily welcome professor pankaj jain uh, from flame university i also welcome professor samar kumar mandal from jadavpur university <coughs> i welcome my colleagues i welcome dr kavita das from utkal university bhubaneswar i welcome श्रीमती uh, अनुरीमा भट्टाचार्यजी प्रोफेसर देविका साहा एंड ऑल्सो सिल्भापल जी सिल्भापल सेल्भादुराई फ्रॉम ऑल एलॉन्ग फ्रॉम चेन्नई आई वेलकम एवरीबॉडी आई एम ऑल्सो थैंकफुल टू माय डिपार्टमेंटल कलीग्स हु हैव हेल्प्ड मी अलॉट इन ऑर्गेनाइजिंग दिस वेब लेक्चर सीरीज दिस लेक्चर इज द ट्वेंटी नंबर ऑफ लेक्चर ऑनलाइन लेक्चर we have already conducted 27 lectures another uh, three or four lectures will be held very soon so today uh, uh, professor jain uh, will be speaking on a beautiful topic that is hinduism and sustainability uh, before requesting professor jain uh, let me speak a few words about uh, professor jain professor pankaj jain is an internationally recognized academic leader in sustainability Jain studies, film studies, and diaspora studies. He is a professor of philosophy and religious studies, and is heading India studies in Flame University. Earlier, he was the founding co-chair of India Initiatives Group and associate professor in the Department of Philosophy and Religion at the University of North Texas, a Tier One American university. He holds a PhD from the University of Iowa. and an ma from columbia university both in religious studies his bachelor in education was in computer science from karnataka university india professor pankaj jain has over 25 years of work experience in both academia and industry he is currently working on his fourth monograph that is modern jainism a historical approach co-editing the encyclopedia of hinduism and a volume on india indian and western philosophical concepts of religion in addition to that he compiled jains and hindu histories in america for his third monograph dharma in america a short history of hindu jain diaspora he is also the author of the award winning dharma and ecology of hindu community uh, communities sustenance and sustainability and science and socio religious revolution in india moving the mountains his articles and quotes have appeared in several academic journals and on the huffington post washington post times of times of india speaking tree and patheos in addition professor jain is widely quoted in various american and indian media outlets in july 2020 the new york times interviewed him and in 2019 morgan freeman interviewed him for the section of on jainism in the national geographic series the story of god he is a recipient of the fulbright nehru fellowship for environmental leadership and wenner green grant among many other grants in addition to that professor jain was nominated for the sustainability leadership award from memsoin institute he tweets at professor pankaj jain and his podcast india studies is on spotify apple 
Google, YouTube, Ghana, and other platforms. What a beautiful career, sir. What a beautiful achievement throughout the 27 years of your academic career. Today, uh, Professor Jain will be speaking on Hinduism and sustainability, but I just want to say one line. If you go to Isha Upanishad, the very first verse of Isha Upanishad says that Isha Bhashyam idam sarvam yat kinchit jagatyam jagat tena tyaktena bhunjitha ma griddha kashra siddhanam. I mean, everything animate or inanimate that is within the universe is controlled by and owned by Isha or Lord or God. One should therefore accept those things necessary for himself, which are set aside at his quota. And one should, should not accept other things knowing well to whom they belong. Here in the Upanishad, Isha Upanishad, this first shloka Isha Upanishad is directly related to the concept of sustainable development which was developed in Rio de Janeiro. And also this traditional, uh, this concept of sustainable development also developed from the traditional economics from Adam Smith to the present day developed by Amartya Sen. But this concept of sustainability is not only talking, talking about bhoga, it also talks about tyaga. Without tyaga, without sacrifice, renunciation, there is no consumption. So I think Hindu philosophy or Hinduism is always talk about tyaga. If you do, if you achieve somebody wants bhoga, then he or she must have some tyaga. Otherwise, bhoga cannot be possible. And this concept of bhoga is there in Taitariya, uh, I mean, in, in, in Satapatha Brahmana, where it is talked about the concept of matsya nyaya is there. I mean, a bigger fish eating a small fish, but that also for the sake of justice or nyaya. So I, I, I request, with these uh, few words, I request uh, Professor Jain to uh, deliver his online lecture today. We are so happy that Professor Jain, despite of his busy academic and administrative schedule, he has been agreed kind enough, he is very kind enough being agreed to our department and readily accepted our invitation uh, to, to give an online lecture. I request every participant to mute their audio and video during the lecture. The whole lecture is recorded. If anybody is intended to receive, I can send this lecture without any hesitation. But I request everybody to uh, mute their audio and video. In case of any difficulty, they can use the chat box. And over to Professor Jain. Thank you. You are muted, sir. Thank you, Professor Lakshigan Pari. Uh, your surname reminds me of my very old friend in Karnataka University when I was doing the computer science. I had a friend, Somnath Pari. <laughs> your second Mr. Pari, Dr. Pari, that I'm meeting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your kind invitation. Uh, Professor Bala in De at Delhi University is always uh, you know, very collegial, very friendly, and He's the one who connected us, so thank you to him as well. I look forward to visiting your beautiful campus and beautiful region, north, northern region of West Bengal, which I've never visited, Darjeeling, Sikkim, and, and so on. I've been to Kolkata a couple of times, Belurmat, 
and uh, even Vishwabharti, but not yet the North Bengal. All right, the topic that was given to me or uh, what we mutually decided is the topic of sustainability, the topic, the buzzword that is around us across the world, wherever we go, we are facing this issue, not just academically, but also in real life, we are inundated with different issues, different disasters and so on. So about 30 years back, Harvard University took the initiative and had series of conferences, you know, long back. See, look at the time lag. 30 years back, Harvard had already done these conferences for several days. They took each religion, Hinduism and ecology. Then they took Buddhism and ecology, Jainism and ecology, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, indigenous traditions. They did the conferences, came out with great volumes published by Harvard University Press. So, but the issues, issue is so relevant. So it's a, it's a, it's a burning issue, one of the burning issues of our times, especially after COVID, we are even more you know, aware of, about the connections between climate change and pandemic and, and so many food, food choices that we make and so on. So topic is extremely relevant. And I hope that uh, what I present today based on my research over the years, some of the PhD students, especially master's students, MA, MPhil students will take these topics, these are issues and, you know, deal with these issues head on, not just academically, but also in real life. Uh, one more thing uh, before I get into my topic, uh, the philosophy department in India that I've seen so far, or even there in US, in US I've been there for uh, 25 years and just recently came back in India. So I am getting familiar with Indian situation, but I'm still learning because in India, I did only computer science. I'd never really learned or read humanities in India, but so this is my very, I'm still very new to India in humanity scenario. What I uh, suggest, what I would request to your students, especially, is that they think of their research topic beyond philosophy. You know, I think it's easier and uh, comfortable to do your research sitting in library, sitting in your room, sitting in your office, comfortable armchair uh, research can be done very easily. But I invite them, I encourage them, I even challenge them mildly that they look beyond philosophy and they go into the field work and, and, and combine the philosophical. So for example, Professor Padi just, just shared with us probably the most, one of the most famous Upanishadic verses, Isha, Vasimidam, Sarvam and so on. But how do we see that verse in real life? Can we find, can we go to any part of India, Bengal or India, Bengal, maybe Sundarbans? How can we connect that verse, Isha, Vasimidam, Sarvam, to some communities, some people in real life, in real world, are any people actually living by those principles? So what I'm suggesting is that if you combine philosophy and religious studies, religious studies is a recent, relatively new department in America and Europe, but in India also hopefully it will come. So in religious studies, we do comparative study of all the religions of the world. Right? So philosophy of religious studies is kind of a can be a very theoretical research topic, but how do we combine that with anthropology? If you're not finding evidences of these great ideas, Mahavakyas in Vedas and Upanishads, then our research effort, in my humble opinion, is not complete because theoretically anything can be said any by anybody. Where is the practical relevance? Where is the practical reflection? So I think Bengal, your region where you are located, I think is can it can be beautiful uh, gateway of proving in real life that these are not just Mahavakyas, these are the daily realities of India. So I, I, I'm reminded of, because you're in Northern Bengal, I'm reminded of another documentary. Uh, what was it? Wild India or something. India, the wild or something. Some documentary I was watching in the US, in Dallas, where I was for many, many years. 
And in that, they showed that in Bengal, there are some regions where elephants, hundreds of elephants roam around freely. I mean, you have to tell me the, the reality. I've never been to the northern region of Bengal. But so elephants yes, are a living reality in, in Bengal and many other parts of India. Yeah, Sundarbans, in the greatest example from Bengal that, in my humble opinion, is Sundarbans, which to my very limited knowledge, I've never not been to Sundarbans, but I've, what I've heard about Sundarbans is that there are man-eating tigers, cannibals, in Sundarbans, and yet Hindus and Muslims and tribals, whoever is living in those areas, will rarely if ever go and attack or kill or hunt even a man-eating tiger. Even though tigers can eat humans, but humans will rarely kill them back. But I mean, this is all what I've heard. This also came from another documentary, and it was also a, a, a news report on NPR, National Public Radio of, of the United States. Just as we have Doordarshan and Akashwani in India, there we have in US, PBS and NPR. So NPR published a report because actually somebody called me from NPR and they were looking for ecological examples in India. And I gave them Sundarban's example. What I've heard is that there is Bon Bibi. Bon means forest, Bibi means Devi, I guess, forest goddess in Sundarban's. So Hindus and Muslims, even Muslims do not kill the wildlife there in Sundarbans and they don't, uh, they don't uh, kill, a, they don't cut a tree also. So all these things I've heard. So I, I would love to connect, I would love to have, see some students making these connections between Ishawas Upanishad, Ishopanishad and these living laboratories of ecology, living laboratories of biodiversity. India is such densely populated country as we all know, 1.4 billion people in such a short such a condensed land. The land that we have in India is one fourth of the land in the US where I was living for so many years. And the humans that are living in this one fourth land compared to US, four times the more humans in four times less land that we have. 1.4 billion people. In US, the population is like probably 330 million or something. Yeah, so uh, 30 crore, 35 crore. Here, 1.4 billion people. Char guna zada log, char guna kam land. Still, we, for the most part, we live, we live harmoniously. India is the only land except Africa where we have elephants that I just mentioned, tigers that we, we, you all know, we all know in Sundarbans and other parts of India. We have rhinoceros, just the neighboring state of yours in Assam, which I visited uh, three, a couple of years back. We have lions in, in Gir forest in Gujarat, which I visited last April. So. India may be the only place in the world, in the world, except Africa, of course, where despite 1.4 billion people, we have sustained living with these so many beasts among us, you know, elephants and rhinoceros and uh, uh, tigers and lions and, 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 and whatnot. So what is it that lets these large beasts, large mammals live with us Largely peaceful. Yes, of course, there might be some examples where some people might go and poach and hunt and kill some animals. I'm not saying everything is perfect and nobody is perfect. Nothing is perfect in this in this world. But for the most part, why? what is so unique about India that makes us sustain mammals, that makes us sustain rare species of trees, flora and fauna, uh, even with such a huge pressure of population, modernity, you know, shopping malls, we need land big urban development, we need land, and yet we have all these people, uh, flora and fauna still uh, surviving, trying to survive at least in, in South Karnataka, in Assam, in Bengal, in Kashmir, so many, so many places. There is something unique about India that if we can make those connections, I think your research will 
really get to the public publishable standards and it will be real contribution in the literature of the world where people are not just talking theoretical theoretical is so easy to keep repeating isha vasupishad keep repeating rigved but where are the connection that is what that is what i have done in my research so with all that preamble let me now show you my little presentation here this is what i intend to present today all right so dharma and sustainability is the title i was you know originally the title was hinduism and sustainability but i prefer to use dharma word why because dharma as you know i'm sure all of you know already this dharma comes from the root dhri which means to sustain so dharma intrinsically has the notion of sustainability because dharma root itself is dhri which means to sustain so dharma as sustainability or sustaining force must be the closest word in any tradition of the world if there is if there can be one word that connects to sustainability directly that is the word dhri uh, dharma which is based on the root dhri dharma is, as we know it's not just limited to hinduism but buddhism also calls itself dharma or dhamma in pali or prakrit or arjmagdi dialects of the languages that were prevalent when buddha was speaking dhamma is the word in in buddhism dhamma or jain dharma also calls it uh, the word dharma or dhamma in sikhism also we call sikhi sikhi or simply sikh dharma so dharma is a pan indian term indigenous traditions of india have all used dharma dharma is also not just limited to sanskrit but i have done uh, you know informal research informal survey of all the different not all but many many different prominent languages of india and the dharma word is used in tamil tamil telugu kannad kannad malayalam marathi bengali assamese dogri punjabi haryana all the different languages of india have embraced this word dharma it's not just brahmanical or it's not just an upper caste or upper class or sanskritic word it is pan indian word which is found in all the different languages of india and all the different indigenous traditions of india also so dharma again comes from the word the root three so that connects with sustainability that's why uh, that's the title of my first book that you so see on your left side dharma and ecology of hindu communities so now the two different images that pictures of two different men that you see i will explain that one is the guru jambhoji founder of bishnoi community and dadaji pandurang shastri athavle founder of the swadhyay movement that i will explain in my presentation so what i want to show you little bit is also how a prominent scholar in america in california university of san diego lance professor lance nelson has found has raised some issues in the reading of the veda of vedanta and the bhagavad gita and how adi shankaracharya has been viewed by western scholars in one way and our tradition views it views him in a different way I'll, i'll try to show you that also and how that connects with ecology then i will come to the bishnois and the swadhyay communities uh, ecological efforts as i was hinting in my beginning slide and then overall how hindu dharma connects with ecology that's the overall overview of my talk so with, so that there you so see on your top top right hand corner professor lance nelson sitting with uh, you know standing with probably most likely the image in uh, nepal or somewhere in southeast asia and what he he has published a paper he published a whole he edited a volume called uh, purifying the uh, purifying the earthly body of god hinduism and ecology that book came from suni press state university of north state university of new york a uh, couple of uh, i think in the early 90s early uh, or late 90s in that book he has published a chapter he has he has written the chapter in that he says that because brahm satyam jagat mithya as propounded by vedanta or advait vedanta definitely by adi shankaracharya that means that only if brahma is the only satyam is the only truth 
and jagat is mithya or uh, uh, illusion then people in india are going to ignore the world ignore the eco ignore ecological resources so that should not be surprising so nature is world is devalued in shankara's advait advait vedanta so since uh, jagat is devalued nature is automatically devalued so that must lead to india's current ecological problems according to lance nelson professor lance nelson so vedantic world denial because jagat is mithya so if rivers are abused forests are cut mountains are polluted why worry because they, that is all mithya anyway that's the question that he raises then he says that because uh, because again because of vedantic world denial society in india hindu society in particular is indifferent to protection of environment that is the issue those are the question that he raises so i'm just summarizing what professor lance nelson has written in his chapter in the book purifying the earthly body of god by suni press so so what we see in his uh, criticism is that his his criticism is really based on adi shankaracharya's work that is based uh, that is that says brahm satyam jagat mithya and so on but what 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 i want to now summarize is how shankaracharya is actually viewed by western scholars western modern academic scholars for them shankaracharya is a world denying philosopher he renounced his family duties he he took the one of the earliest renunciation he became sanyasi at a really you know pre teen years and he founded his considered as a founder of advait vedanta in india in hindu society he also was one of the earliest founders of ascetic orders the dashnami parampara of sadhus and sanyasis he wrote great commentaries on ancient texts such as brahma sutra gita that is prasthantrayi right he is also called as prachanna bautha or the crypto buddhist because many of his ideas match with buddhist ideas so he is studied by scholars but treated as an exception by orthodox brahmins because he rejected the varnashram system so he has very little relevance for masses this is the academic reading of shankara and his works this is how academicians have treated shankara and and his works but what about the hindu tradition itself how do hindus practicing hindus how do they view shankaracharya so in popular memory of hinduism or popular memory popular hindu memory shankara is a very activist kind of person he his his works his life is captured in shankar digvijay the book that is uh, that captures how he revived hinduism single handedly he walked across india he defeated buddhism in shastras uh, famously in varanasi and, and elsewhere he established four hindu mathas in the north east south and west right uh, uh, near badrinath that is joshi math in uh, dwarka in shringeri in south and in puri in the western india so i have been fortunate to visit all four places uh, by the way i am very uh, encourage the students to also make sure to visit at least one these all these great heritage places that we have across india so in popular hindu memory shankara is viewed as somebody who was trying to revive hinduism by intellectually defeating buddhism and probably jainism as well he wrote bhakti hymns so hindus have no issue no problem in accepting or uh, you know singing those hymns that is that are a bhakti hymns such as krishnashtakam krishnashtakam uh, is written by adi shankaracharya is undisputable for practicing hindus so shankaracharya is viewed as somebody who combined gyan karm and bhakti but so he inspires devotion uh, so, so adi shankaracharya in, in among popular practicing hindus he inspires devotion he inspires social activism socio religious activism and world affirmation in hindus not nature devaluation or world devaluation right so what i'm say, saying is i'm trying to compare contrast how 
academics have viewed Shankara as, as a simply a scholar who, who renounced everything and who just sit, sat at one place and wrote all these great commentaries based on probably inspired by Buddhism. That is all he did. But popular version of Hinduism by practicing Hinduism, by practicing Hindus, is not just an academic philosopher, philosopher Hindu, uh, Shankarachari, but uh, an activistic Hinduism, uh, activistic Hindu, uh, Shankarachari. One who was interested in defeating Buddhism and re-establishing Hinduism as the popular practice of the land of India, land of Bharat. So, so I hope you, this is clear between academic version of Shankara and traditional version of Shankara. Now, if tradition has accepted Shankara as a socio-religious activist, and not as a world world denier, world affirming Shankara is what what the tradition has, has embraced about the Shankaracharya. Then how can he devalue nature if Shankara is very active in reviving Hinduism? Then Brahm Satyam Jagat Mithya must mean uh, must not mean nature devaluation in Shankara's Advaita Vedanta. That cannot be the root cause of India's current ecological problems. That cannot make Hindus indifferent towards environment. So what we can probably uh, speculate is that Advait actually denounces attachment with the worldly matters, not the world itself. That's my first proposition. Second, Advait is against the duality of spirit and matter. And like Professor Padi already uh, summarized for us, Isha Vasem Idam Sarvam is breaking all those dualities of spirit and matter. Isha Vasem Idam Sarvam means that the divinity is, is accepted to be revered in every particle of the universe. That is the Advait Vedanta summaries, summary that encourages, inspires environmental reverence, not environmental de devaluation, as Professor Lance Nelson was trying to summarize. So, so that completes one section of my, my talk. Second section, also a critique of Professor Lance Nelson, who said that Bhagavad Gita can also be a problem for India's environmental issues, what he says. Now let me summarize, and I will, I will respond to what he is trying to critique. So Professor Lance Nelson says, that Gita's message is to become sthitaprajna, or sthitaprajna, right? to become a disinterested spectator about social problems. So let the society go to whatever, go to ruins, environment, go, let it go to ruins, and I will remain a sthitaprajna, I will not work for the upliftment of the society or the environment. Now, I think, again, he misses the point that Arjuna is not, Arjuna, in fact, wants to run away from the battle, but Krishna inspires him to rebel and to fight against his elders and teachers, including Bhishma and Drona and other elders and cousins. So Sitpragya does not mean to be indifferent towards, towards problems. Sitpragya simply means that you have to de deconstruct the actor. Your ego is to be deconstructed, not the action. So this is taken from Arvind Sharma's article in the same edited volume, volume that was edited by Professor Lance Nelson, that the actor or ego is to be denied, to be rejected. Action cannot be renounced. Only ego is to be renounced. That is a crucial point that Professor Nelson misses. And when he says this pragya means to ignore the problems of the society. Again, he goes on, Professor Nelson takes the Gita's chapter 5, verse 19, in which nature is to be conquered. It is mentioned that nature is to be conquered and to establish in Brahman nature. But, but again, he misses, misses the point that nature that is to be conquered is not the outside nature. It is not the dominion of the nature that is uh, described in the in the Genesis chapter of the Old Testament in Bible, where nature is to be, is meant for dominion of humans. Here, the nature is not to be is not meant to be do in in dominion. Nature is the swabhav. One's own nature is to be conquered. One's own kashaya, one's own uh, ragvesh are to be conquered. 
to establish in Brahman. Nature has two meanings, Swabhav and nature is also connected with environment. So Professor Nelson took nature to mean environment, but whereas I think almost all traditional Hindus, when they are practicing, the practicing Hindus will take this verse to mean Swabhav is to be conquered, one's own Rag Dvesh are to be conquered, not the outside flora and fauna. Nature conquer conquering is not ecological domination, but controlling one's own nature, Swabhav. So Gita, then he says, Professor Nelson says, Gita discourages nature worshipping and replaces it with devotion to one God Krishna because Krishna in his Vishwa, Vishwarup Darshan says, is telling Arjun to worship him, worship Krishna and not, uh, and, and Nelson says, Professor Nelson says that nature is not to be worshipped as Krishna says that, that's what he's saying in his uh, 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 critique of the Bhagavad Gita. But once again, Professor Nelson is missing the point that Krishna, when he takes the Vishwarup Darshan in his cosmic form, he includes the every species of the universe. Krishna is not just a human uh, deity or, you know, Mathuras or Vrindavan's cowherd boy to be worshipped. Not in that form. Of course, that form is also fine. But Krishna in his Vishwarup Darshan includes the entire universe, all the species of the reptiles, all the species of the birds, all the species of the animals, all the species of the trees, all the planets, the stars, the entire universe, the entire cosmos is integral part of Vishwarup Darshan. That is the meaning of the word Vishwarup, which is the cosmic form of, the, of, the, of Krishna, which includes universe, which includes ecological resources. So it is not that nature is to be ignored, nature is to be devalued, and only Krishna is to be worshipped. That is another crucial point that Professor Nelson misses. And this is this completes my critique of Professor Nelson's critique of Bhagavad Gita and Vedanta. So now to con contrast this reading of the, of the Bhagavad Gita and Vedanta by Nelson, I present another anthropologist in, uh, who did her uh, fieldwork in Rajasthan for decades in near Ajmer. So Professor M. Gold in, at Syracuse University. Uh, let me read this quote. So while Ghatiyalis, Ghatiyali is a, a name of the village, name of a village near Ajmer, in Ajmer district in Rajasthan. While Ghatiyalis conceive of God of the Lord, Bhagwan, as meting out punishment in exchange for sin, this conception is very close to Hindu theories of karma and its inevitable fruits. It ought not to suggest Judeo-Christian theories of a vengeful God who does not want his rules crossed. Notably, no one with whom we spoke named the author of divine punishment by any of the scores of names available in village religion. Rather, what we hear is a conviction that wrong actions reap evil rewards. So the idea is not Krishna or a, another sort of vengeful, zealous God that is going to punish us for our sins. But the idea I'm a popular among Hindu masses in this, even in a you know, so-called uh, almost you know, really not uh, qualified villages, but even villages understand this notion that it is not somebody judging them sitting in the heaven, but it is our own karma that is reapers, punishments or rewards. That is the idea of the Hindu uh, uh, imagination for a divine punishment or reward. So human behaviors, what we see in this observation by Professor Engold is that human behaviors are irrevocably interwoven with the natural environment's condition. The deterioration of one implies and involves the other. So human action are connected with ecological results. It is not that human actions are not to be divorced from ecology. Humans are not to be uh, disconnected from ecology, but in every way, in every thought, in every imagination, even among the villagers, the idea is that humans and ecolo ecology 
are always intertwined with each other that is what vedant teaches that is what the that is what the meaning of ishavasi vidam sarvam is that divinity is not just in one god who is judging us from heaven but divinity in is in the entire universe that is what krishna shows in his vishnu darshan that is what even villagers who do, who may not know sanskrit they also inherently accept and understand that concept that kan kan mein bhagwan that divinity is ishavasi vidam sarvam even even though they may not be able to recite the isha ishopanishad completely but they realize the same principle that divinity is in every particle of the universe so divinity connects us with ecology that is what i am trying to show you here by the by the help of another anthropologist senior anthropologist from syracuse university professor n gold so <clears throat> so god is a cosmic system unlike abrahamic god as suggested by lance nelson in his reading of the bhagavad gita all right now now i present my own field work that i did few years back and what i for i found in my research is reflected in another quotation by another western scholar in uh, euro american academy whatever useful elements in the asian traditions may exist must be reinterpreted to make them usable in the face of both new scientific knowledge and the destructive power of the technology it has made possible so what is happening is that we have in india and china and africa and other many other non western traditions there are many such useful elements like i was giving you the example of uh, bon bb and elephants in bengal or 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 the example the example that i'm going to present now are all hidden or you know interspersed among uh, you know um, uh, within our cultural tradition traditions our job should be our duty should be as scholars and researchers to find them and to reinterpret them in the face of the new scientific knowledge such as climate change or loss of biodiversity and so on how and how these cultural traditions can connect with the modern scientific discovery that is what i endeavor to do in my research so i present to you bishnois in rajasthan i present to you athavlis sad swadhyay prayogs and i will also refer to the chipko movement the tree hugging movement by sundarlal bahuguna who passed away very recently in uttarakhand okay so now the two communities that i really focused for my first book in my first monograph dharma and ecology of hindu communities the first group started in 1490s the second group started second community started in 1940s vishnoi also called as vishnoi or 29ers were, were founded by guru jambeshwar or also called as guruji who lived from 1451 to 1536 swadhyaya which means the self study movement uh, one of the new religious movements started in 20th century and uh, the founder panan shasi athavle also called as dadaji lived from 1920 to 2003 in mumbai Vishnuis are <clears throat> present mostly in Rajasthan, my own home state, by the way, and but they are also found. Uh, some Vishnuis can also be found in Odisha or Madhya Pradesh, Haryana, Delhi, Punjab, Himachal Pradesh, and so on. But mostly in Rajasthan. Uh, so, it, so what happened was in 1485, 1485, there was a severe drought for many years. There was not a single drop of rain in that arid part of uh, arid region of Rajasthan. and people were dying animals were dying people were cutting off green trees and so on in that scenario a young boy a young jamboji in early 20s he had he was worried about this destruction going on uh, around him where he was living in a small village in in the in bikaner district and he go went and sat on a sand dune he, and he had some kind of a mystical experience and that place is now revered by bishnois as a as a bishnois shrine in that mystical experience guru jamboji saw uh, that humans will have to live 
in harmony with ecology otherwise the entire humanity will also perish from this from this from this planet and as he came out of the came out of his mystical experience he he gave 29 rules to his community and whoever accepted those 29 rules became a bishnoi became a follower of guru jambo ji he also taught in his 120 shabdas also or statements so his 29 rules and 120 statements are the foundation of bishnoi culture in those statements in those rules what we see is the word dharma is being used even in that 15th century archaic rajasthani rajasthani language that he spoke even in that language he was using the word dharma dharma as to for protect, protecting the environment dharma for personal hygiene dharma for spirituality dharma for personal and social morality so these are the uh, different ideas around the environment around hygiene around spirituality around personal mor morality all coined by all covered by the single term of dharma that connects with with all different spheres of of a human life ecological responsibilities hygienic or personal health responsibilities spiritual uh, practices and even moral or ethical rules are all connecting connected by dharma so dharma has these multiple meanings as we know dharma connects with the environment dharma connects with personal rules spirituality and also ethics so this is my translation from rajasthani if you remember that the divinity residing in your heart also resides in animals you will surely attain swarga you will not be able to justify the violence when questioned by your own deities now in my speculation i am not sure if guru jambo ji ever read ishopanishad but even he in his archaic rajasthani language is using the same idea of upanishad that divinity is in animals also ishopanishad right isha vasyam idam sarvam so even animals have the same divinity so he is telling his followers that you have no right to kill animals for your own survival so vishnu is became vegetarians as they accepted the discipleship under guru jambo ji so vishnu is are have been always vegetarians for so many centuries now even though they were they are living in the in the desert food uh, availability is very low but they have survived and they have sustained their flourished this tradition of vegetarianism based on the same principle of ishopanishad ishavasimitam sarvam even in archaic rajasthani since he may not he probably he didn't know rajasthani sanskrit in my speculation so uh, so teaching and saying is one thing but doing is another thing so he also did these things as he lived he created this water harvesting sites he planted thousands of trees he he created animal and bird sanctuaries so again for the same idea that water is also divine trees are also divine animals are divine birds are divine because they all have the same element of isha vasimidam sarvam everything is divine so let's protect them let's defend them let's not harm them let's not hurt them that is the environmentalism of vishnuji guru guru jambo ji in 1730 probably world's first environmental uh, violence happened what happened was that soldiers uh, a king of jodhpur uh, raja maharaja ajit singh was trying to construct a large palace for the palace he needed some fuel and firewood so his soldiers knew that they can find this firewood none nowhere else but in the bishnoi villages because the desert has you know only oases that can be found in that near jodhpur is the are the villages of bishnoi because bishnois have been protecting their trees as they as taught by their founder guru jambo ji so soldiers reach a village khejadli village and they start cutting trees so as soon as that starts happening amrita devi one of the bishnoi women she comes and hugs the tree hugs the tree of khejadli and as she hugs the tree soldiers in their mad 
rushed to get the tree wood they kill her they cut her and they kill her as amrita devi falls more almost 363 vishnu men women and children also die in solidarity with amrita devi and as 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 their mark of protest against the soldiers who are trying to cut these trees so this is the first probably world's first such sacrifice done to save the trees done to save the environment and that's as exemplified as role model by amrita devi and other vishnuvi people and that story is now a popular children's book also in america this people who hug the trees based on the vishnuvi people uh, written by debra lee rose and uh, that is made based on the story of amrita devi so amrita devi has become a legend now that is popular across the environmental uh, literature across the world now as that's what i'm trying to show here and vishnu is today the indian government to celebrate amrita devi sacrifice they have institutional uh, they have started launched this award called amrita devi award that is named after a vishnuvi person and that is mostly given to vishnuvi people because vishnuvis are at the forefront of saving their flora and fauna they are protecting and defending the flora and fauna as most famously perhaps exemplified when they caught salman khan when salman khan was trying to shoot for the film hum saath saath hain near jodhpur and he, and he was trying to hunt a black buck a kind of a tree a kind of a deer vishnuvi people uh, being uh, so alert about this uh, kind of violence they rush to the spot catch salman khan and salman khan is still fighting that court case in the court of jodhpur in rajasthan so that's another example of vishnuvi activism to save to protect their flora and fauna another similar example where a uh, you know grandfather uh, father of a son is proudly telling his story that his son also sacrificed his life to save a life of a deer or as poachers came and so on this is a third picture that you see is a award winning picture of a woman vishnuvi woman who is nurturing her own child with the same love as she feeds a deer cub so that love and harmony and you know that activism that zeal to save flora and fauna in the desert region arid region of rajasthan is very very prominent among the vishnuvis how we are do doing with the time let me take a pause because i can go on and on but uh, uh are there any questions so far i spoke a lot already yes all right so yes so basically what i was trying to show in the examples of uh, isha vasupnishad uh, example of the uh, sundarbans that i you know, alluded to the elephants the uh, all the you know wildlife that survives in india and the example of bishnois that i presented and how even you know rajasthani language has the same idea as uh, sanskrit upanishad uh, that professor padi shared with us and then dharma word that that uh, guru jambuji used dharma he used for not just for spirituality or dharma not just to chant the name of vishnu vishnu is the by the way the hindu god that vishnu is worship so dharma is not just for spirituality but dharma also means to practice morality so do not kill do not lie do not steal moral rules are also guided by dharma right environmental duties are also guided by dharma right and spirituality of course to to chant the name of vishnu also guided by dharma so dharma is for 
for natural uh, activities spiritual activities that is dharma is for natural uh, resources dharma is also for human ethics so this is uh, this i am taking citations from waitman and pandey who did actual uh, field work uh, with indian language speakers and he, they found what they found is that dharma word is used for many many different uh, spheres of life dharma is used for religion dharma is used for physical property dharma is used for duties and ethics and morality similarly parajuli from nepal also found that dharma is used for supernatural realms that is religion dharma is used for natural realm that is physical properties or ecological properties dharma is used for duties also human duties so if we take the intersection of religion property and duty if we take the intersection of supernatural realm natural realm and human realm what we get is dharma is encompassing all of these different areas of human activities in the hindu world especially hindu jain buddhist and sikh worlds as i was alluding in the beginning so that is what i conclude with that dharma uh, not just as a theoretical theoretical idea or not just as a philosophical idea but dharma as a living reality among the people of probably some sundarbans and also bishnoi people and other communities that shows us that dharma can be a very viable tool for sustaining our environmental resources dharma already intrinsically has coming on, coming from based on the root dri which means to sustain dharma already has that intrinsic notion and this is proven by the field work that i did with bishnois or others uh, might also find similar evidences similar examples wherever they work that is what i i guess i'll conclude with i would be i would happy to go into more details based on the question that i that if there are any i'll take the question and uh, these are the two books that i devoted uh, for environmental uh, research that i have been doing for so many years all right let's stop here professor pardi yes and uh, let's take if there are any questions yes wonderful thank you wonderful uh, thank you professor jain for presenting a beautiful and a very time bound uh, also very i mean very interesting topic that you uh, presented to us today uh, on behalf of the department i am thankful to you for enlightening us on this uh, on this a uh, beautiful and very attractive topic um, uh, your presentation reminded me my days of uh, research of at jadavpur university i did my phd in environmental philosophy mm. and there was a chapter uh, in my phd dissertation religion and ecology and basically i refer to Christopher Chappell's book, yes. Arvind Ar Sharma, mm -hmm. and also uh, Jainism ecology uh, written by you. Oh, okay. some, some extent, uh, yeah. Christopher Chappell's book also. Uh, you readily uh, pointed out. I mean, you started with the concept of concept of intrinsicness, concept of harmonious relationship between human being and nature, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Uh, you also uh, concluded with the concept of dharma which is though it seems theoretical but from indian scenario it is very much practical because when it is said that in the mahabharat actually that in agamanam hi sarvesam achara shrestha uchyate achara prabho dharma dharmat ayu vivardhate and the, it, because dharma is the, uh, the, the it, it is expressed in our vyavahar achara and and among the among the agamas achara dharma achara dharma is the best agamas and the same term also in mahabharata it is also mentioned 
uh, that Vyasadeva is asking to Sri Krishna that after the end of Mahabharata, what is the meaning of dharma? I cannot understand. Then Sri Krishna says, Urdhavahu viramyesa nachakaschit srunatime dharmat arthascha kamascha saukimartham neyasana sapyate. I mean, dharma is both satisfaction of desire and acquisition of property with the guiding principle of dharma. So, dharma has both practical and uh, theoretical aspects and you readily pointed out that how dharma can be utilized in conserving nature with the harmonious attitude of uh, attitude of human being towards uh, uh, nature. And you already pointed out the concept of Banadevata, the Vishnui communities. Even if uh, uh, see uh, some of the eco-feminist movement, I mean, I mean uh, uh, the Narada Bachao Andalan by Medhapataka, also the Chipko movement by Sundarlal Bahuguna, and 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 also some of the argument and uh, some of the point uh, are, are I mean cited cited by Bandana Siva. So these are the points uh, which uh, nowadays very much discussed in the present environmental philosophical scenario. And you religion and environment is also if uh, also playing a pivotal role, very crucial role in our harmonious relationship between man and nature, because man always think that I am apart from nature, but man is a subset of nature. And there is a always there is a uh, uh, there is a doubt. I mean, uh, always there is a uh, conflict between anthropocentrism and non-anthropocentrism, and also and religion solves that problem. And Hinduism is 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 playing a vital role. Not but Christianity. We can find that in Lynn White's book. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, that article in Science, the historical roots of our ecological crisis. And Lean White is saying that it is religion which is the cause of all ecological crisis, and Christianity proved that. But in old, it, it was all all that was available in Old Testament. But New Testament is talking about harmony, love, sympathy, which. Uh, but but in Hindu philosophy or Hinduism, specifically Upanishadic tradition and Vedanta, uh, to some extent Sankaracharya's Vedanta, you critically uh, analyzed that how Nelson has been. Uh, criticized Vedanta and uh, Upanishadic's view that these are theoretical but not practical. If we, if, if we if we at all practice that Upanishadic view, then there will be a new light, to, uh, there will be a new addition to our attitude uh, uh, towards nature. That is a very beautiful topic and uh, you concluded with Dharma and uh, and that Dharma actually basically, uh, dharma, dharma has three functional roles. Dharma in the society, Dharma in the society and the individual, and dharma by an individual. So, if we consider these three aspects of dharma, then I think all ecological problems will be solved. And religion uh, definitely uh, will play a pivotal role, crucial role in solving environmental crisis. And also, uh, it, it preserves the very nature of sustainable development, which was already there in, in, in Isopanishad and present, present day Amartya Sen is doing from Adam Smith to Amartya Sen and in between Bernard Williams uh, because uh, uh, people are doing a lot of works in this area but but religion definitely it, it solves all kind of problem so people are saying that religion can uh, may provoke some kind of uh, problems but I uh, my from my view and from your presentation today we can see that that religion can solve environmental crisis and religion can uh, play a important role in sustainability because there is a difference between sustainable development and sustainability uh, uh, so now i thank you professor jain uh, 
for your wonderful lecture i now request uh, my colleagues and participants to uh, uh, start the interaction uh, questions has to be very brief because uh, we have to finish within one hour professor jain is very much busy uh, question has to be one line or two lines question if comments we can take up later but i now request the scholars those who are working in this area they can ask some questions uh, but to be very brief now over to the participants Oh, yes, uh, Dr. Nirmal Kumar Roy, one of my colleagues, uh, he, his, his specialization is Indian philosophy. Yes, Dr. Roy, please go on. Okay. So, first of all, I'd like to convey my thanks to Professor Join. Really, it is a very uh, good lecture, I think. Uh, and uh, actually, I have one question, but another uh, clarification. I want another clarification. In the course of your discussion, you told that Shankaracharya, huh, uh, you know that Shankaracharya said that Brahmasutta Jagadmitra, <coughs> that is uh, only the Brahman is true and the world is false. And how do you actually reconcile that philosophy, that is the philosophical concept of Shankaracharya, with the practical utility of the religion like that? This is one thing. And second, uh, that is uh, the first one is the clarification. The second one is the question. That is, uh, though we know that uh, according to the Hindu religion and also some other religions, uh, God is everywhere, divinity is everywhere. But in spite of that, uh, uh, superiority of the human being has been actually uh, uh, what uh, declared. Uh, and uh, the same is uh, very clear in the uh, statement of uh, what is called uh, Chondidas. So, man is actually, though divinity is uh, everywhere, in every particle of the world, but in spite of that, we have to keep in our mind that man is superior. Now, my question is that if I uh, think myself to be superior, then from the very concept of superiority, I may think that is the very tendency of abusing the nature now automatically comes. So, what is your response to it? Okay, thank you, sir. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, good question. Uh, I'm not sure if I got the first part right, but second part, yes, superiority of, of humans. Uh, and at the same time, so humans are privileged uh, in in uh, Hindu tradition, even Jain tradition, and I think even in Buddhist tradition, because Buddha, even though he was born in different species, in different Jataka tales, but only in the human form, he achieved the Nirvana. Similarly, in, uh, in Jain tradition, you know, Mahavir was born as lion, but he was born as human being. Only then he achieves his moksha. In Hindu tradition, also human birth is really uh, prized, uh, really valued, much more uh, importantly than other other species. But that does not give right to human beings to kill others. Other even non-human animals are not to be killed for human survival. That is, I think, clearly. Highlighted when we, we talk of these to topics such as Isha Vasam Midam Sarvam, that divinity is not just within human beings, but for our. So it's I think it's a gradation that uh, what what they are arguing for, what they are advocating in in our texts is that try to evolve. Even though you may be born, even though you may have been given some privilege as a human being, 
but you are not different from others if you are stuck with ahar nidra bhay and methun then you are as good as other non human animals only dharma differentiates you from other animals dharma involves spirituality dharma involves environmental protection and preservation dharma involves recognizing the divinity in every particle of the universe dharma involves do not lie do not kill do not steal all the moral rules that is only that is the only thing that really privileges you makes you different from other animals so i think that the answer is again in dharma thank you thank you thank you professor jain sir can i yes yes dr kavita das please um, thank you sir it is really a very informative and uh, insightful talk and uh, myself kavita from utkal university sir i want to ask one question that uh, what is the role of spirituality when we practice our dharma because uh, as uh, spirituality refer to one's personal experience and dharma refer to duty don't you think that uh, these are two two contradict with each other uh yes so that is what i was trying to hint in the last slide that i presented the dharma automatically includes all these personal duties dharma includes duty towards your society duty towards your environment duty towards your own well being and your own well being means well being of your body well being of your mind well being of your spirit your soul so dharma includes all of those also and the prerequisite for spiritual development as mentioned in our dharmic text patanjali's yoga sutra and so on is that satya ahimsa aparigraha all of these are prerequisites so morality leads to spirituality morality towards one's own being morality towards the environment so it's all really encompassing everything it's not i don't see any contradiction thank you thank you very nice there is another question uh... Uh, in the chat box he is uh, silva i mean shiva palan silva durai he is asking a question does the concept of dharma subscribe to the idea of environmental determinism <laughs> determinism <laughs> uh, would you like to elaborate a bit more of your question what uh, in what context and what do you what exactly do you mean yeah environmental determinism he is asking the question does the concept of dharma subscribe to the idea of environmental determinism yes i'm asking for some more context on the question some more details yeah he has not mentioned but he out of some inquisitiveness i think he has asked this question because uh, see uh, professor jain i mean professor silvadurai uh, actually uh, professor jain has not uh, coined the term environmental determinism because that is a different term and uh, in environment uh, i mean everything cannot be determined you know uh, because when we are talking that man is a part of nature that means man is not determined or environment is not determined to nature to human being so exactly. i think professor jain has not uh, coined this term but yes. still there is a possibility uh, some other questions yes uh, anybody else uh, want to ask a question brief question yes anurima would you like to ask a question yes yes yeah, be very brief okay yeah. Uh, good afternoon, sir. Um, my, I had actually three questions, and I'll just put it in a line. Uh, my first question uh, is that: Can you please, um, can you please explain the essence of divinity? 
okay, the essential features of divinity, because uh, in your way, I mean, how you understand it, the essence of divinity. This is my first question. Uh, my second question is, suppose... Let me take one by one, please. I will forget otherwise. <laughs> let me respond to one yeah. by one question. So uh, first question, let me respond. Uh, idea of divinity. I think, to me, I think Professor Padi's whatever I spoke one hour, he already said in one line, Isha Vasim Vidam Sarvam. That is my idea of divinity also. Because that idea of divinity is encompasses Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism also. Although Upanishads, we connect, we usually connect, you know, uh, imagine that Upanishads, Upanishads are Hindu texts. But even Buddhist texts would say similar thing in different language. Buddhist, Buddhism, Buddhists will say every particle of the universe is also divine, even though they don't accept the idea of soul or divinity, but they accept the idea of Buddha, Buddha nature. Every particle of the universe is Shunya is empty because it is Shunya and empty. It is Buddha by default. Since every particle is a Buddha, it becomes every particle becomes divine. So Buddha Buddhism also says jewel net of Indra. Every, every particle of the universe is divine because every particle reflects all the infinite particles of the universe because everything is Buddha in, in, the, in, the, in the end. That is the Buddhist idea of divinity. Hindu idea of divinity already Ishavasi Isha Vidam Jain idea of divinity is that Jains also don't accept any divinity, any God or, or so on. But Jains also say that every particle of the universe is has a soul. Even fire has a soul, air has a soul, earth has a soul, water has a soul, according to Jainism. Since everything has a soul, everything also automatically becomes divine, even though it's not a God that is overarching God that is controlling the universe. But because every particle has, has a soul, including air, fire, water, and, and so on, that becomes divine also. So that is the idea of divinity. Isha was one line I'm taking, trying to apply in three different contexts, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism. Of course, Sikhism is a combination of Hinduism and Islam. Sikhism would also accept that current karma Bhagwan or every particle is divine. That is uh, that is at least my humble idea of divinity. Uh, actually, uh, I wanted to know some, uh, something else. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, I won't, uh, I have any confusion regarding that divinity is there in each and every particle. Okay, so uh, the divinity, the feature of divinity is, is intrinsic to each and every particle in the universe. What is the characteristic? What is the, okay, how do you characterize divinity? I mean, I want you to understand that. Okay, so uh, uh, because uh, there are different characterizations of divinity. Okay, so uh, what is your way of characterizing divinity? That is uh, what I was actually uh, asking. Okay, so can I please go to my uh, next one? Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, I wanted to say that when you were talking of the Sundarbans and you were talking of the man-eating tigers, okay, so uh, and uh, there if the context comes, like uh, you say that the human beings um, are not killing the tigers, where is the tigers uh, are human-eating uh, animals there. So uh, for the sake of uh, decent, self-decent, if uh, I am uh, neutral and I am not being defensive, so what is the justification of sustainability there? If I'm not being defensive to my own existence, okay, if I'm not being defensive to my own existence, so how is uh, sustainability justified there? I'm sustaining some other person, I mean some other creature, but not being able to sustain myself. Okay, so how is the question of sustainability justified in the context of not being defensive towards one own self. Okay, this is uh, the question. And please, uh, the last one, uh, will you allow me or I'll take it up? No, no, no. Two questions are enough. Okay. okay. 
Okay. So actually, I was referring to what Lokikanto uh, had concluded that regarding sustainable development and sustainability, which one is preferred? Do you prefer sustainability or sustainable development? This was my third question. Okay, sir. That's all. So, please. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't uh, pretend to have all the answers. We are all philosophers, and we have to keep thinking. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I wish I have every answer that you all are going to ask. Sir, may, I, may I may I add a single please. response to Anurag's yes, question? Please, please. There is a difference between sustainable development and sustainability, and also there is a question by Manaswini Patnaik. I think uh, my response will be uh, will be to uh, to her question. See, sustainable development is a theoretical theoretical aspect. It was all started from Adam Smith to I mean traditional from traditional ethics. Traditional economics by Adam Smith to till today, in between Bernard Williams and Amartya Sen, the present-day economics—I mean, uh, economists—are basically there in 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 the area of uh, that sustainable development. One word is coming out that is called sustainability. Whether an area or the atmosphere or the nature or any kind of development is the ability to be sustainable. that i mean sustainable development is a theoretical development sustainability is a practical development so to use the theory into our practical life into our uh, i mean in our rules administration and in our day to day regular life there is a hell and heaven difference theory and practice because once if that theory is not practicable then there must be something wrong in the theory itself that's why the concept of sustainability is coming and i can give an example but time is not permitting me because it is amartya sen who has given the example of sustainable development and sustainability and he has given a, a example of royal bengal tiger anybody can surf in the google they can get answer thank you sir thank you anurima for asking this question i think uh, we should stop here uh, as no question is coming Uh, sir, my previous question, sir, uh, will you please? No, Anurima, we are running behind. Actually, uh, okay. Professor, okay. we should complete it with one hour, but we crossed it at one to one one hour fifteen minute. So I think uh, uh, let me give a vote of thanks to Professor Jain and all participants. Uh, on behalf of the department, I, uh, I I I I I am thankful to Professor Jain for giving uh, ample time to our department. This is. for the first time professor jain is giving invited to our department and it was a nice presentation and our research scholars participants and my colleagues they have uh, we are we are enriched about this contemporary uh, discussion on environmental philosophy specifically in relation to spirituality and religion and uh, uh, i i am thankful to everybody i mean my colleagues and participants from inside bengal outside bengal for making this lecture fruitful and and i am also thankful for for all uh, participants active involvement in this lecture uh, so uh, this lecture is recorded i can send it to them but uh, i am also thankful to our honorable vice chancellor for approving all such online lecture and my departmental colleagues uh, i am i am also thankful to all the depart i mean research scholars in our department also some pass out students i can find here in the uh, uh, they join today 
and my colleagues uh, i am thankful to all of you with these words uh, let us end this web lecture 28 here thank you uh, professor jain and thank you everybody namaste thank you namaste